0: said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Good morning, uh, church family. If you have your copy of God's Word, I just invite you to go ahead and turn to uh, Psalm 128. So we continue looking at this uh, group of psalms near the end called the Psalms of Ascent that are in preparation for going to the house of the Lord to worship Psalm 128 says this, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And if you would uh, just indulge me for a minute, I'm just going to call us back to prayer. And I would just ask you to take a moment, uh, close your eyes, bow your head. And I would just invite you to speak to the Lord. And ask him to reveal things to you in his word. I would ask for his help to set aside distractions and to set aside competing voices and ask him to allow you to hear him and him alone. And if you wouldn't mind, I would ask you to, to pray also for me, that God would speak through me and that I, what I share would be uh, useful and helpful to you to help you pursue Jesus. Father, we are here and we are expectant. Please speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've had a lot of time to dwell on this psalm this week, and it's uh, meant a lot to me, and continues to unfold in different ways. And so we're just gonna we're gonna spend some time walking through it, uh, verse by verse, and and talk about what it might mean for us uh, this morning in all of our individual lives. And so if you uh, just go back to verse one, um, it's an interesting verse when you really think about it, and maybe we get kind of inoculated to biblical language. But it says, "Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His ways." And so another way we could actually translate that first word, uh, "blessed." you know, you get a lot of different words for blessing within the Old Testament, and sometimes it's the blessing of Lord, a specific action he does. But in this uh, connotation, and we get in a couple of different Psalms, that bless is the person— it can actually also also translate to happy. So you are blessed, you are happy. And so it says, you know, happy is the person who fears the Lord. And uh, taking that uh, just kind of surface level, that could be an interesting statement. I, th- I think it is. Um, because uh, for me, happy and fear do not typically go hand in hand. And I know there might be some weirdos in the crowd today that y'all are into things like horror movies. Uh, but personally, like I do not like to be scared. And so fear and happiness are not something that coincide with me. You know, I do appreciate a good crime thriller gets right up to that line, but I don't like being scared personally. And so we should ask ourselves like what is this talking about? And this is a line that is repeated often throughout the Old Testament especially is this idea of the fear of the Lord But when you get this in the scriptures, it always has a positive connotation with this phrase. And so there's a couple other places you could look. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And then even the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 33.6 said, The fear of the Lord is his treasure. And so we get this positive connotation with this idea of the fear of the Lord. And so language matters and how we perceive these words matters because we need to be able to put those two things together. How can I be happy with this idea of fear? This picture that you get explained throughout the Old Testament a, a lot in the book of Proverbs, if you remember back in the fall we we talked about this quite a lit quite a bit that it, the idea of the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament is this recognition that God is God, and I am not, so it's less to do with terror, and so you do get some instances where where people uh, see God kind of unmasked in His glory, and they are terrified. This idea of holiness reflected against our sinfulness is terrifying. Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 6 when he sees the throne room of God and he sees God in his glory and it says, Woe is me, I am undone. But when it's using specifically this idea, this phrase, the fear of the Lord and how it brings about life in somebody, is this idea of reverential awe. That when we recognize who God is and the authority he has over all life, all existence, it puts a moral mindset in place for us of recognizing our place within the universe that is going to lead towards prosperity and happiness. So when we recognize God's glory, God's might, God's authority, it is not something of terror, it is awe that leads towards blessing and happiness in ourselves. And so I just maybe think about it like this, like imagine the most spectacular night sky you've ever seen. You know, wherever you were, I'm guessing not in DFW, and you had that one of those moments where everything was clear, maybe there was no obstructions, no light pollution, and you could just see all of the heavens on display, and it was magnificent. I doubt in that moment you looked up that night sky and thought to yourself, man, I'm really great. No, because probably in that moment, you recognized that there was something holy and other and bigger and more magnificent than you, and that was not something necessarily probably that was terrifying, unless you have a weird fear of space, but more than likely in that moment, it it uh, caused you to worship in some way, and even maybe somebody who doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord probably can look up at a beautiful night sky and recognize, hey, there's something bigger than myself. And I believe that is what this phrase really uh, should bring to mind for us. The fear of the Lord is just this recognition within our own hearts and minds that there is an order established in the universe, and I am not at the top of it, but God is. And that should bring about blessing and happiness in in our lives, because in a lot of ways it gets us off the hook for so many different things. Because we do not have to dictate the way life should proceed. We get to recognize that there is a God who has placed things in order, and we get to submit to that. And that's going to bring about happiness and blessing in our life when we get that right. And so one of the ways I've been thinking about it this week is uh, there's this term that's been coined the past couple of years called adulting. I maybe you've heard about it um and so it's really uh, kind of in that post college age when um maybe um uh, uh the older generation would have just um kind of wagged their finger at the younger generation been more like uh once you get out into the real world And so it is this idea that if you, as you are proceeding out of like a structured environment and then you are entering into life and you are having to figure out everything on your own for maybe the first time, it's what we call adulting. And so a moment that comes to mind for myself is uh, my first year of marriage. So me and Emily got married. I was still in college, so hadn't quite had to enter out fully into the world. And so um, one of the first things for me that I had to figure out was uh, I had never set up utilities before. So I moved um, out of my parents' house, in with my brother for a while, back into my parents' house, and then to college, and I lived in the dorms. So yeah, you had to pay a fee, but everything was set up. So then me and Emily were getting married, so we had gotten an apartment, and so we had gotten some things set up. And um, when we moved into our apartment, um, the electricity was on, and that was a nice thing. And so we're like, okay, great, the electricity's on. At some point in our setting up of things, we knew that the, um, the apartment complex wasn't organizing that for us. It was not part of our rent, but it was on. And so we're just like, okay, that's all right. We'll just let that happen. And about six weeks later, when we flipped on the switches in our apartment and the electricity was no longer on, we realized, oh, like, there's something we still need to figure out. And so we had to actually go back and, like, oh, we have to set up the utilities ourselves and uh, give them money for them to get us electricity. And so it can be hard as you take these steps in your life. There are things you have to figure out, and that can cause a level of stress and anxiety in your life. And I would say a lot of people have the same stress and anxiety in their life when they're trying to big, figure out the big questions of life: like, why am I here? What's my purpose? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a spouse? What does it mean to be a parent? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? A lot of times that can cause a lot of stress and anxiety in our life because we take the weight on ourselves that we have to figure it out on our own. And this is not what the glory of God is saying. He's saying it's going to bring happiness into your life when you realize you don't have to dictate what life is about, but you get to submit to the creator of life. And so another way you can think about it, um, just identify whatever level of nerdom you fall into. So I don't, know, I don't know if it's Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or maybe Marvel or Harry Potter, whichever one you know the best right now. Uh, a lot of times when we get these works of fiction that uh, kind of take on a life of their own, and there's books, movies, and everything else, we end up using kind of this term, the universe, and so, you know, we talk about the Marvel universe, and there's all these different films that uh, fit into the Marvel universe, and then there's all the comic books that go along with it. Uh, I personally am a big Lord of the Rings fan, and so you, uh, to me, you can't say you're a Lord of the Rings fan if you've only seen the movies. I mean, if that's the bar, you're below it. And so I'm talking about there are the, um, um, the, the works of Tolkien that were um, um, released after he died. So if you haven't read a couple of those, you're not on my level. And so just think about any of those areas that you know well, maybe it's Star Wars, maybe it's Harry Potter, which everything, um, if if you just search the internet for any of those areas of a a work of fiction that's kind of taken on a life of its own, you will find discussion boards and fan clubs and fan fiction and all this speculation about like, oh, what about this question with this storyline or this character or whatever it might be? And I'm sure for anybody that is a huge fan in any of those areas, it would be a dream coming true if you have the opportunity to sit down with the author and ask them all the questions you have about the universe they've created. And what the word of God does is gives that exact opportunity to sit down with the author of reality, the creator of all things, and not feel like we have to answer the big questions on our own or figure everything out on our own, but we can submit to the Lord of all and see how he would like us to live in his created, ordered world. And through that process, we are going to receive blessing and happiness. And so what I'm not saying is that uh, there are going to be moments in your life where you're going to have very specific questions about what I should do next or why has this happened. And I'm not saying you're going to get an exact answer that makes perfect sense to you. But what the Word of God is advocating, that um, it will bring happiness into your life if the mindset you take as you go throughout life is, I'm going to ask God how these things are supposed to work or how I'm supposed to interact in his world, that's going to help line up your heart and mind to put you in a position where you are most likely to succeed if we are submitting ourselves to God instead of just trying to figure everything out on our own. And I believe that's going to bring happiness into our lives. I think it is a profound thing. And so, uh, I don't know if you've ever read uh, through parts of the Old Testament and you just get like stuck at like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy because there's all these different laws and it's kind of hard to maintain your Bible reading plan through it. But I love if you I would love for you to flip over to Psalm 19 because David just makes this really profound statement about God's law. And it's always inspired me and kind of uh, perplexed me and made me wish that I could take the same mindset. And even though I fail, so I love Psalm 19. It's the Psalm of David. And if you would look at uh, starting in verse seven, this is what David says about the law of the Lord. He said, "The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart." And so what David is saying is he uh, gazed into the law of the Lord and meditate on the scriptures that had been given to him. He realized that uh, God, in a lot of ways, has outlined the way life is supposed to work. And so that's what we get in the Levitical law and other places in scripture. It's all these, hey, hey, this is going to lead prosperity and this is not going to lead to prosperity prosperity. And so if he applied his life into the scriptures, what he realized—I love verse 11, how he said it—is that um, um, by them is your servant, Lord, in keeping them there is great reward. And so he's saying when he took this mindset of the fear of the Lord, of placing God above everything else, and asking the author of the universe how is life supposed to work, it steered him in a direction that was prosperous for his life. And so uh, at a couple of different points in my youth ministry career, uh, we would play a game that would kind of go like this. Um, We would uh, throw every form of obstacle in a room that we could, you know, chairs, tables, Legos, you name it. And then um, we would uh, take some teenagers and blindfold them, and we would make the goal to be to get across the room as quick as possible, and then everybody would yell at them. Uh, It was always a lot of fun to watch it happen. And so... um, I feel like that's how a lot of us are going through life. Like, we feel blindfolded, we hear tons of voices, and so if you start to just proceed in whichever direction seems best to you, inevitably, you're gonna hit your shin really hard on something, and it's gonna lead to some pain. And so what the law of the Lord does for us in so many different ways is it removes that blindfold, and so we can see the obstacles of life and maybe some of the pitfalls that are normative for us as humans, and so that we can avoid those things and follow the path of God, and uh, hopefully by His grace, through perseverance, uh, navigate this life in a way that is both helpful and instructive and glorifying of God, and maybe avoid some of the negative aspects aspects of, of tripping and falling into things that might come naturally to our brokenness. And so the fear of the Lord is going to bring happiness and blessing into our lives. And so I love also that it just states that, because a couple of weeks ago, you know, we looked at uh, Psalm 127, and it says, you know, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And so Psalm 128, they relate to each other because he says in verse 2, he says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you, It's a similar idea. So unless God is watching over the house, it's in vain. And it's in vain we get up early and go to bed late unless God is above it all. And so 128 picks that same idea up. And our labor is going to be fruitful with, with, if within that labor we are putting God at the top of all things. And if we are looking to him to dictate to us how we should actually labor in this life. And so if you've spent any time in the wisdom literature of the Bible, it's, it's so practical. If it's like you just read through the book of Proverbs. It has so much practical advice for how we should interact in our relationships with others, how we should interact in the workplace. Uh, there's all these different areas of life, and it's saying That if the fear of the Lord is something that is prominent in your mind and the applications of the scriptures are something you are doing as a regular habit, it's going to steer you in a lot of ways through life and help you turn towards things that are prosperous and honoring of God and avoid things that might bring death and destruction both relationally and in the world around you. It's an incredible gift God has given us to understand that when we put him first, everything else is going to follow. And so if you see in verse 1, it says that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And so it gives this instruction. And then as I read it, verse 3 and 4... It kind of turns to a practical application in a specific area of life that if the fear of the Lord is occurring in a person and we are turning to him, here's how it's actually going to look in someone's life. And so the example we have right here in this psalm is how it should look for a husband and a father within his home if first and foremost he is elevating God above everything else. And so I love this description. It says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so I I do want to dig into a little bit, you know, verse 1 says this is for everyone, but then it does have some specific application for husbands and for fathers. And it has some descriptors about how your home should look like, if you're actually applying this in your life. And so we know, like I said, we don't have to dictate how life is supposed to work. God has given us a lot of instruction in almost every area of life, and so we can not have to try to figure out on our own what does it mean to be a man, a husband, and a father. We can look at the Word of God, and we can see how it's supposed to apply to the family life. And so we do have instruction in the Old Testament, but I want to look in in the New Testament. And so if you would, uh, turn with me to Ephesians 5, and it's some instruction we should all take to heart. And like I said, you know, it's going to be specific to towards fathers in this moment, but I do think it is for everyone, and we can all uh, draw some instruction from God and think about the roles we play and how God has ordained it to work. And so at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is giving some instructions for families, and this is what he says starting in verse 22. "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church.'" However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, You know, a a lot of times I feel like shots start to get taken at the family from outside the church. But if you really, you know, look at the the biblical tenets for what God says about the family, it's it's this beautiful picture— And so there is this idea of order and structure in the way it is supposed to go. So it's this idea that, hey, um, a man is going to be submitting to God. So saying, hey, I'm not in charge, but God is in charge. And through that, he's supposed to love and cherish his wife. And because of that relationship he has with God, it should give a woman confidence to submit to her husband because that is her act of worship. So there is both this mutual uh, submission and love and respect going on in that relationship. And that's a beautiful thing. And then um, because the husband and wife are both submitting to each other and to God, then uh, God gives this incredible opportunity to add more people to the family. We read that in Psalm 127, that children are a gift from the Lord. And so then in that scenario, the parents take on that responsibility, like, hey, I need to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. And so although children are going to obviously at times question some things, they should be able to see both the love that their parents have for God and the love that their parents have for each other and recognize okay, I'm going to do what my parents say, and the parents are supposed to live with their children in an understanding way. And so if we just take that picture that God has given us, it's a really beautiful thing that I don't think anybody would have too much of an objection to. But what happens is that picture begins to get distorted. Because none of us have lived in a sin-free or a world without brokenness. And so uh, there's not a, a man in this room that has just nailed 100% walking in the fear of the Lord and loving his wife like Christ loved the church. Like we've just all fallen short. That's what Romans tells us. Um, which, so that should give all of us some grace because you don't ha- shouldn't have to feel like you have to fake it to match the other dads in the room. All of us have fallen short. And so we have not loved our wives perfectly. We have not um, uh, parented perfectly. We have not been perfect disciples of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, uh, ladies, I think we can all uh, affirm that uh, none of y'all have measured up to the standard as well because that's what the word of God tells us. And so uh, I'm sure there are some examples in the room of not uh, perfectly living out what it means to honor your husband um, just the way the church is supposed to honor Christ and have not perfectly lived out uh, loving your children and doing all all of those different aspects of what it means to be a mom. Like, we've all fallen short. But what we need to do is to look at the perfect standard of God and orient our lives in that direction, knowing that the grace of God is going to make up for our shortcomings, but we still need to walk in the fear of the Lord, obeying his tenets and precepts for us. And so I love this picture because I think one of the shots people have taken at the church is that so often we stop at that first verse in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 where it just says that wives are supposed to submit. And so I love that the Old Testament gives us a picture of what that relationship actually results in when you're doing it correctly. And so that I love, it says like the man who fears the Lord, what is his wife described as? As a fruitful vine. It gives this image of life and vibrancy and that uh, good things are coming out of her life because let me just tell you, because I've grown up in the church my whole life, I have known situations and I have known couples where um, maybe the man knew his theology well and could quote the Bible line and verse and his wife was browbeat and subjugated behind him because of a misapplication of the word of God. And so we have to take the whole picture and we got to realize oh, what it actually means to um, uh, walk in the plan that God has for us. And so if you are living out Ephesians 5 correctly, I would say um, uh, for us fellas and husbands and dads, what I would worry about is the role God has called you to play and not the role he has told the rest of the family to play. And so, so often we get stuck on, you know, um, the family needs to submit to my authority. And so I would let God sort that out and I would worry about what God has actually told you to do. And so, yes, uh, God has told wives to submit to their husbands as the Lord and it has told children to obey you. But what is it said to us specifically as fathers? It says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. And so the focus of what you should be doing if you are walking in the fear of the Lord is actually the commandment focused on you and not the commandment focused at everybody else. Because if you are constantly preoccupied with the idea that your authority is being subverted by your wife and your children, what that will lead to is being angry and domineering and not actually leading your wife and your children to thrive in the household that you are responsible for below God. And so as I have had uh, the opportunity more and more often to sit with young men and young women that are heading towards marriage, and a lot of times they have different questions about these passages depending on uh, what type of household they were brought up in or what type of church setting they were um, brought up in, What what I say more often than not and what I truly believe is the application of Scripture when it comes to my headship as a husband and father in my home, I don't think it means I'm in charge. I think I'm responsible if it goes wrong. And so if, if, if we're looking at our families and the gifts of our wife are not being called out, if she does not have the appearance of a fruitful vine, it probably means something has gone wrong in the husband's pursuit of the Lord. And I'm not saying 100%. There are always outliers and crazy stories out there, but it's one of the things we can um, use to examine our own hearts. Like, are our families thriving? And so if you are looking at the scriptures and taking all of it together to give you this picture of what our families should look like, this is what I think it means. And because I know for myself, I would much rather have a partner walking side by side with me into the future and then instead of a servant, a couple of steps behind me. And so husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. And yes, your children are supposed to obey you, but what did it also say? It says, make sure you don't provoke them or stir them up to anger. We have to uh, show the same patience and grace that Jesus does with his church, and we can all recognize that the church has had its fair share of problems. And so that is the example we have of husbands. You know, the Apostle Peter makes a really profound statement in 1 Peter. He's talking about this, and he's saying, uh, he's talking about this relationship that's supposed to happen between husbands and wives. And he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's a pretty intense statement. And so what, what I read from that is basically, you know, like uh, um, uh, men, like if we are uh, trying to subjugate our wives, our daughters of the king that have been entrusted to us, if that is your perspective of ruling your home with an iron fist, I don't think God's going to listen to you. Because that's not the picture he's given us of love and respect that's supposed to take place in the home. And so uh, it is our job to submit ourselves to Christ as the overseer and shepherd of our souls and sacrificially love our families in a way that will bring out the best in them and point them to the Lord, not through a a dominating fist, but through sacrificial love. I mean, how how did Jesus even interact with his disciples? He washed their feet. He was patient with them again and again and again again. And if your goal as a dad and a husband is to point your family towards Jesus, that's the way to do it. And that's not an abdication of responsibility. I think it is a deeper, heavier responsibility of how can I love my family towards Jesus and to write instruction through sacrificially leading in my home. It's an incredible obligation that God has given us, and it's only by his grace that we're going to be able to stand under that weight and that pressure. But that's what the word of God says. And so I just ask, like, can you, can you say with, you know, an honest heart and a clear mind, like, is your wife thriving? Are you seeing her, her gifts and her creativity come out of her? Are you drawing those things first or forth? Are you her chief encourager? that's what it says the same about children, that they should be like olive shoots around your table. And an olive is not a quick-growing plant. It is this long, gradual process. But if it is cultivated, an olive tree can live for hundreds of years and continue to bear fruit year after year after year if at the beginning it's nurtured. And that's the way our wives and our children are supposed to be in our household. And, but like I said, verse 1 says that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And our example is husband. But you can, you can apply that in any area of life. And I would just say it like this um, for anybody. Husbands, wives, single people, whoever. Are the people that encounter you, are their lives better because of it? Because that's what the word of God is saying. Are the people that encounter you, are their lives better because they encountered you? Like, how do we interact with people? Are other people blessed because we're walking in the fear of the Lord? One of the ways I was just thinking about is uh, when I was early in ministry, um, the first church I got to work at, um, there was a couple of families that really just cared for me and loved me well. And uh, there's a specific man I'm, I'm thinking about that just often he would, <coughs> excuse me, uh, take me to coffee or take me to lunch. And it just meant a lot to me. He was very, very encouraging. And one of the things I just remember is, I don't think there, I don't believe there was a time where we ever had a conversation one-on-one that at some point in that conversation, um, he didn't tell me that he was proud of me. Now, I've been blessed with a really great family. I I have a loving dad who told me that he loved me and that he was proud of me and allowed me to cry and express emotions and then also helped me play football. You know, I'm I'm really blessed with the dad I had. And, And so I don't feel like I have that specific wound sometimes that can hurt, but I can tell you, like, it always made my day when that older man who was watching me in ministry told me he was proud of me. And so what did it do for me? It made me want to be around him more. You know, I wanted that in my life. It was like, that was a person, like, I never regretted seeing him. There was never that sense in my life when I was around him, like, oh, gosh, not today. Do I have to sit through this? No. I had this expectancy in my life because of the way he had built me up and poured into me. And it was just that simple phrase so often he repeated to me that, hey, I'm proud of you. It meant the world to me. And I just wonder as we are encountering and going through life and different people are encountering us in different types of relationships and in different avenues and in different circumstances, like is their life being blessed by the fact that they encountered me? Because I think that's what this is talking about right here, is this person who is walking in the fear of the Lord, that's the way the rest of the world is going to interact around them. Hopefully people are thriving because of your impact on their life. And that is absolutely in our homes, but ideally it's outside of our homes too. Like are we people of encouragement that call the best out of people, or would people rather avoid us because it's always a huge bummer when they interact with you? And if it is, maybe it's because you are so stressed out by trying to be the God of your life and figure out all the different circumstances and all the different questions to your answers when you can um, uh, free yourself up and just think of the words of Jesus, the invitation to come if you are weary and heavy laden, and it'll give you rest. And it's not a cessation from work, it's working alongside Jesus, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And so you don't have to be the author of the universe around you. You can have a relationship with the one who spoke it into existence and let him carry that burden and you can just uh, faithfully and joyfully pursue him and enjoy the goodness of being in relationship with your heavenly Father. As the psalm wraps up, it some pretty... Um, Incredible statements. Verse 5 and 6 say this It says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You know, um, You can kind of um, break down the Bible in in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways you can think about a lot of scriptures is uh, sometimes the scripture is prescriptive, and sometimes it's descriptive. And so sometimes the scriptures are telling us the way something should be, and then sometimes it's describing the way something is. So a lot of times when it talks about the human condition, you know, it's describing what is, not necessarily what it should be. But as I read this psalm, I, I view it very much more as Uh, as prescriptive. This is the way it is supposed to be. And so like I I mentioned with our families, like none of us have experienced that completely in our lives. Like we have all been living this side of the fall. And so this is a a, a prescriptive passage of this is the the way life is supposed to work. Um, and so everybody submits to the fear of the Lord, the people around them thrive, and the place they live thrives. That's how it's supposed to work. And through that, we receive the blessing of God, and you see prosperity in the world around you, and in specifically your own family. But if you even think about, like, um, when we read prescriptive passages, there should be uh, something that triggers in our heart that something's missing. And because what, one of the things it should do for us is make us long for the redemption God has promised— And so if you think about the way the world is supposed to be, we have to go back to Genesis 1 and 2, that uh, one man, close communion with God, God brings about a helper for him. They are in this incredible garden that they are supposed to cultivate and work together as co-shepherds with their creator. But then sin enters into the world, and their labor and their place of habitation and their families are all fractured. So that's part of the curse. And so uh, they labor and toil by the sweat of their brow and the earth produces thorns and thistles. And so our work has been broken and they are no longer permitted to live in this perfect habitation. They're uh, kicked out of the garden and so their living situation is broken. And then uh, very quickly family life gets broken and brother rises up against brother and commits the first murder. And so none of us have experienced the fullness of what this psalm is talking about. And so what it should do in us is trigger a longing for the redemption God has promised. And so I do believe that uh, these are true words that if we put the fear of God before our eyes, it's going to have an impact on our families, and it's going to have an impact on the place we live, and the city we belong to, and the people we belong to, and it's going to cause prosperity. But the problem with that, if we are uh, just saying like, hey God, where is your promise, none of us have lived out perfectly walking in the fear of the Lord. And so what it should do is push our eyes ahead of us and we should look to Jesus as the fulfillment of all these promises. And so if, if our desire is to see this lived out in our lives and we want our families to be like fruitful vines and we want the world around us to be blessed, what we have to do is take our eyes off of ourself and fix them on something greater. And so I love that New Testament language echoes some of these promises. So if you would, uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So the, near, near the end of that chapter, um, I just love what it says. Uh, ver, verse 19 of Second Corinthians one says this: "For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes." For all the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And I love that it uses that That language that God has established us because I, I know that we all have this desire to see our families thrive. And I think that is this God-given desire. And so if that is a goal you have, and I think it's God-given to see our families thrive, it's not going to come about by trying to micromanage all the different aspects of their lives or by being in control and making everybody obedient to you. It's going to come about by fixing your eyes on Jesus, that God will establish you through Jesus Christ. And so I love where the psalm ends, that it says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem All the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And so, if you are uh, uh, sitting here this morning and have a longing to see the words of the scripture actually become manifest in your life, all of the Bible, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, is always going to point us back to the worship of Jesus Christ this whole series we've been doing has been to uh, hopefully identify some areas in our life that might inhibit our worship so that we can properly ascend to God and um, uh, participate together in the true worship of the one true king. And an aspect of that is going to be how we care about our families. And so what God is saying If you care about your wife, if you care about your kids, if you want to see your grandkids, if you want to see your family follow the Lord, it's not going to be through your own control. It's going to be through you sacrificially loving Jesus Christ and putting him before everything else. Before security. Before your job providing financially. Before your kids doing what they need to do and doing exactly what you said because you said it. If there is anything else in your life above Jesus Christ, it's not going to result in the blessing of God. And so what we have for us this morning is to evaluate our own hearts and to see where things have crept into our own lives that might inhibit us from truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth because we can't worship God and be God at the same time. And so are we uh, placing God at the topmost of the mountain and pursuing him, or is there something else that's occupying our thoughts and minds that we think might be better than a right relationship with Jesus? And so I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Because those are questions that only you will be able to answer for yourself, and it can be so subtle how something that is good can creep into the spot of what is ultimate. Our families are good. Our work is good. But they can't satisfy a heart that was made to be satisfied in its creator. So if you want to be the best dad you can be, if you want to be the best wife you can be, if you want to be the best child to your parents that you can be, you have to put Jesus first because he's better and because he's worth it.